He is risen. Amen. Praise God. So this morning, uh, we are honored to have some friends from Beit Shalom. We joined them last night at their Passover Seder for the second year in a row. And they did a, about a four-hour service. Today, <laughs> our goal is to eclipse that. So get comfortable. We will be passing the peanuts in a little... No, just kidding. But uh, it was a great time. And Rabbi, uh, it's wonderful to have you here. I know you had a long night and you drove all the way home and back, which is not a short drive for you. But uh, we're honored to have you here. Would you stand, Rabbi? And maybe everybody from Beit Shalom... So glad you guys are here, and we are honored to have you, and we were talking about Jew and Gentile being one in Jesus, and it's a beautiful thing that the Lord's doing, so we're so grateful for each one of you. Uh, as a church, we've been moving through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Oftentimes, we will pause as we go verse by verse through a book, and we will take a break and focus on the resurrection. Some of you have seen the old cartoon where the pastor's out front. And the placard says, today's message, the resurrection. And he's shaking hands. And there's a little, you know, bubble uh, top of guy's head. He says, I don't know what's going on around here, but every time I come here, the guy preaches on the same thing. <laughs> Some of you will put that together in a moment. Uh, yeah, you got to come more than once a year. But anyway, <laughs> so right out of the gate, he's already doing it, right? But uh, so today's topic is actually worry. And I thought, well, how appropriate, because I know it's a universal problem for all of us. No matter where you may be with the Lord, I'm sure you probably have your share of worries and struggles. And the question is, how do we deal with it as believers? And maybe uh, for you, it would be the first time to give your burdens to Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, thank you for this beautiful Resurrection Sunday morning. Jesus, you said, because I live, you will live also. You said, destroy this body, and in three days I will raise it again, and you did just that. In the very history in which we live and are embedded, Christ is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. And that does change everything. And right from the outset, Lord, we know you preached a sermon about worry, but you came to conquer all that undergirds our worries, all the root causes of worry, all our fears of the future, of failure, and even of death. And, and Lord, thank you for what the resurrection means to us. Lord, it means everything. We are humbled and grateful to be your people, and I pray that those who don't know you yet would find that you are a Savior that's so gracious and good. You came because you loved your creation and I pray that that love and that truth would draw all those who don't know you yet to you and those who do know you a little bit closer today. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, all God's people said, amen. amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of the word of God. The text is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus. He says these words, Matthew 6, 25, for this reason... I say to you, don't be worried about your life, 
as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, 626, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, or that would be the pagans or unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own. You can have a seat. I pray that the Lord will write his word on our hearts. It's been said by someone that the average person is crucifying themselves regularly between two thieves on either side. One is the regrets of yesterday and the other is the cares for tomorrow. And as we look at our world, we could say that there's a lot to worry about. I think in every generation, we could probably find reasons that we worry. And, you know, today it's world events, it's wars and rumors of wars, it's, you know, some of the nations that are coming together, and it's the threat of nuclear war, and who has a nuclear weapon, and who might do something crazy. But it's even more immediate than that, than the nation and the world. It's our family, and it could be our spouse. It could be our children and grandchildren. Uh, there's a lot of what-ifs in this world. We can wake up every day. You know, they say we primarily worry about fear of the future, regrets about the past. Maybe we're anxious about something coming up. We can fear failure. We can sometimes make even a, anticipating an event a little bit bigger than it is, but it can become kind of a giant in our lives, and we fret and we worry and we end up crucified between these two thieves. And the, the truth of the matter is we can't change either one. We can't change yesterday. That's already in the books. And we can't control tomorrow. So Jesus' sermon is about today. And he's not just talking about living in the moment, which I know is a popular phrase. He's talking about living for the kingdom. Something that we've been learning as a church as we go through the Gospel of Matthew is what does it mean not just to pray a sinner's prayer and put, you know, security in my pocket to go to heaven. What does it mean to call Jesus my Lord and my King? What does that look like on a Monday or a Wednesday, that kind of thing? So Jesus' opening words in this particular section says, For this reason I say to you, verse 25, or therefore I tell you. Now we've been learning as we study the Bible that those are connecting words to cause us to look back. And Jesus says, therefore I say to you, don't be anxious and he'll go on. So for this reason, I want you to make the connection to the previous section, specifically verse 24. If you were with us last Sunday, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, right? 
No one can serve two lords. And we learned a little bit about that Greek word. That Greek word is kurios. And it's a word that in the ancient world would be well known. It would speak of a master-servant relationship or a lord-slave relationship. And that was well known in that time. And in that time, pretty much the government structure of the world was kings and kingdoms. So you were a citizen of a kingdom. You had a king and he made the rules and you did what he said or you would be in big trouble. Jesus reaches into those images of his day. It'd be contemporary for his audience. And he says, you can't do it. You can't serve two masters. Notice what he says. For either 24, he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth or mammon or money. Earlier, he said, where your treasure is, verse 21, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is making a clear distinction that you can't do both. Many try, but you just can't do both. He's not saying that money is a bad thing. He's just saying you can't worship money. As we said last week, money can be a wonderful servant but a terrible master. And when money is your God, when mammon is your God, you'll never quite get there. You'll never have enough. You'll constantly be wanting more and more and more. And it will move you away from the kingdom of God. In fact, I would tell you that the more you have, the more you have to worry about. And while it's true that you know, I'm big on saving for the future and investing wisely and doing all those things. I don't want those things to consume me. I want to be consumed about the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, don't be anxious. That is our main word here, or worried about your life. He doesn't say if you are gonna eat. He says what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. The word for anxiety or worry in the Bible is merimnao, and it essentially is a word that means to be divided or distracted. Think about the two master imagery. When you are overcome by worry, you're divided and distracted, and worry can become your master. In fact, some of you might admit that today that is my master, I am mastered by anxiety every single day. It has become my Lord. And I answer to it every morning and afternoon and evening. And that is not a good place to be. And I would tell you that since Jesus says three times in this section, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. If you are constantly worrying, it is a sin. Because it is disobedience to Christ. So Christ said, don't worry anymore, so that should be the end of it, right? You're not gonna worry anymore, right? From this moment on, bam, it's over. We'd all like to say it's that easy, but we all know it's not. And let me acknowledge that some people from early on in life, when they were little kids, had a proclivity towards worry. Why? Why do some people have a tendency to be worriers at two or three or four years old and on down the line? I don't know why. But I know that a lot of us are born with certain bents in certain directions. It could be weaknesses or uh, personality traits that aren't necessarily uh, maybe true for everybody. It might be your battle that you're gonna be a little bit more of a worrier. And if you know that's your battle, maybe that will help you identify, okay, this is a weak area in my life and I have to deal with it. 
Maybe for some of you it would be anger. Some of you it might be lust or something else. And I would say in our culture, when someone has emotions or feelings in this direction, we tend to want to baptize them and say, well, that's just who you are. You're a worrier. But that's not what we should be doing. We should try to help people be lifted from those things where there is wrong thinking. I don't have to tell you how crazy our culture has gone with emotions being that which should define you, and it shouldn't. So, but some of you maybe even have a chemical imbalance that those do exist, and maybe the, the way your brain chemistry is, you're just always on a high motor, and you're always thinking 10,000 miles an hour, scenario A, B, C, D, and you don't sleep at night, and, and look, I want to acknowledge that those are very real situations. And I'm not going to try to just dismiss it and say, you know, just get over it and sing the old tune. Don't worry. Be happy. Come on, man. It's just not that easy for a lot of us. And this is a universal problem. At the root of all worries is one word. Fear. We're afraid. Now, Jesus says, don't fear him who can kill your body. And after that, he has no power over you. But the truth is that we are fearful people. We can be afraid of a lot of things. I mentioned the common things like fear of the future, fear of failure. People have, obviously, fear of death. And there's even such a thing as fear of public speaking, which I go through twice a week, every week. <laughs> and these are, these are things that can be overwhelming to us. And what do we do? Well, Jesus says the disciple is not to focus on worry, but on the kingdom. If I were to ask you right now to survey your worries over the last week and maybe write them down, I wonder if most of your worries would have to do with you and how people perceive you, or if most of your concerns are kingdom-oriented. Hmm. See, that makes me think a little bit about my priorities. Am, am I more concerned about you know, what people think of me or what I'm gonna do next or what I'm gonna eat or what I'm gonna wear or what I'm gonna drink. Now, the Lord knows we have need of all those things, but when you get consumed with those things, they can become a terrible master. Let me just give you some structure for those of you who are note takers. The corrective in this verse is don't be anxious. We just read that and it'll be two other times at least in the text. That's the corrective. The command is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the solution. So don't be worried. Here's the solution. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he'll add all these things unto you. Many of us might say, I wish it were that easy. I'm such a worrier. I want to stop worrying. What can I do? Well, worry can be a lack of faith, but it can be many other things. David said, search me, O Lord, and know me. He said, let your searchlight come into me and, and know my anxious thoughts. And then he said these words, and lead me in the everlasting way. I think David was saying, yeah, sometimes I'm anxious. Lead me away from that and lead me to your way. I would put it this way, your kingdom way. Do you remember when Jesus visited the house of Martha and Mary and Martha was cooking up a storm? This is Luke chapter 10. For the Lord, and for those of you who are cooks, if you were cooking a meal for Jesus, I think I'd be stressed out, wouldn't you? I mean, I always want everything to be timed properly and everything to go well. And we know that Mary, Martha's sister, was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. 
And Martha got a little unraveled. And she, you know, she went to the Lord and she said, tell that sister of mine to come in here and help me in the kitchen. And we might say, why? You blew everybody out of the kitchen, right? You know, sometimes stressed out cooks can be. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about so many things. And only one thing is really necessary. And your sister has chosen the better part. My sister. <laughs> right? And here's the thing. What had, what had Mary chosen? She chose to take in the words of the king and focus on the kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean that cooking and preparing and all those other things are not important, but they are secondary. Listen to the words. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Now, in our culture, that is very much a dominant theme. Magazines, uh, you know, social media, so much focus on all the external stuff. And the externals can matter, but they should not be your uppermost priority. In Isaiah 8, the prophet is talking about the idea of Emmanuel, that God is with us. And that's one promise that we can stand upon in terms of worry and thinking about how we navigate that. This is Isaiah 8, 11. It says, thus says the Lord, the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying you are not to say it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. You're not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. This is Isaiah 8, 11 through 14. It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy. He shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. When our fear of the Lord is in its proper place, and I'm not talking about an unhealthy fear, but a reverence for God and wanting to please him first as our Lord, running past everything past him first by way of priority. All other fears tend to fade away in the glory of the king. Let me try to give you some points that I hope you can hold on to. In verse 25, the king's first argument about worry is that life is more than material things. He says God knows that you need these things, but he's saying life is much bigger than these things. Life has to be more than this. You know, I had some epiphanies when I was a late teenager and in my early 20s. Um, I had grown up in a Roman Catholic household. I knew some things about God. I had a fear of God, but I had gotten away from worshiping the Lord. And I did many things the wrong way, many things that I would tell you I regret, some of which even to this day, I know that they're forgiven, but I regret them. And, and, and as I... Uh, felt like the Lord was knocking on the door of my heart. And even at times when I was really a, a, a newer Christian, I, I had this epiphany. See if this resonates with you. Life has to be more than this. Life has to be more than just the next pleasurable moment or the next high or whatever the next thing might be. If, if you think about those who are maybe financially on top of the world, life has to be more than you know, fashion and fancy dinners. We heard the uh, uh, report of Beckett Cook and he shared his testimony about coming out of a gay lifestyle and he said that he was uh, part of all the Hollywood scene and 
He knew all the people who are writing the major content for all the Hollywood shows today. And he said he was at all those parties with the top people. And there were all the drugs you would want, you know, all the, uh, all the people that you could connect with and so forth and so on. And he said all the parties just started to blend together. And, and I think that maybe you, you haven't used these exact words, but they probably resonate with many of you who have come to the Lord. Life has to be more than this just chasing down the next experience or trying to impress someone that I don't even know or that doesn't even really care about my heart. And I think that's one thing that we need to understand is that life is more. O'Donnell in his commentary says, at my grandfather's wake, I recall talking to my father's boss. We had a brief but good discussion about traditional Irish wakes. He shared the story of a friend who at his wake was propped up in his beloved Corvette. My dad's boss thought it was a fun way to go. I thought that it might just be the stupidest thing I've ever heard, says O'Donnell. Can you imagine the scene? Oh, how he loved that car, Aunt Irene would say. Oh, it's so nice that we could celebrate his life in this way. The guy's as dead as a doornail <laughs> in his beloved Corvette. Funeral uh, home mortuary directors have said that the most popular song in America at memorial services is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. That's a pretty sad commentary on our society. Now, if you do it his way, there's a promise that he'll add everything back to you. Life is much more than what we're gonna wear, what we're gonna eat, where we're gonna eat, Etc. Let me ask you, who is your king? Where do you place your treasure when it's all said and done? Is mammon your master? Has worry become your master? Or is Jesus your master? Let's look at verse 26. As Jesus is preaching, I think maybe some birds flew by because he says, look, stop and look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, neither do they gather in barns. You might say in a modern way, they don't have storage units. Some of you need to mark that. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Jesus says, just for a moment, look up. Have you ever had a moment where you just slowed everything down and maybe you watched a bird in flight or some birds land on a tree or something like that? And you think about the creation. God made every species, whether they fly in the air, swim under the sea, or they're a land animal, and they're cared for. That's Jesus' primary argument here. They're taken care of. And then he goes from the lesser to the greater. How much more? I've never walked by a bird and heard something like this. Man, I'm just pulling my feathers out today. I'm so stressed. Barely got any left. <laughs> this is a living illustration. And Job picks up on this by saying these words, Job 12, 7 through 10. Now ask the beasts and let them teach you. And the birds of the heavens, let them tell you. Or speak to the earth and let it teach you. Let the fish of the sea declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of everything and the breath of all mankind. This is a personification of nature, and it simply means this. Sometimes 
We just need to consider or reconsider the whole creation. And in one sense, let it preach to you. So sometimes when we can get away from all the noise, maybe you go up to the mountains, maybe you, go, maybe you enjoy the beach and you watch the crashing waves and you realize generation after generation has experienced all the same things that we deal with today. Threats of war, looming problems, children, the generation that is coming up and we wonder what's gonna happen to that generation and 2,000 years ago, they questioned the coming generation as well. What's wrong with them? They're gonna be the rulers of tomorrow. We're in deep trouble. And then, 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 ding! It's the same old, same old. There's nothing new under the sun. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. If only they had a God like us. And the truth is that we do. But humans tend to be more stubborn than the animal kingdom. Because even though we've been given dominion over the fish of the sea and the land animals and the birds of the sky, dominion over all of it, we are the only creatures made in the image of God, yet sometimes we have, a, we have trouble releasing things to God. And I, and I can feel your hearts, because some of you are saying, okay, I get it, but how do you do it? How do you release worry? How do you seek first the kingdom of God? You know, Peter, uh, the apostle Peter was there that day and he listened to many of Jesus' sermons. And in 1 Peter 5, he wrote something about worry that I think most of you know. He said, cast all your cares for him to him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, you might wanna write it down. It's said in a context where Peter's talking about humility Then he talks about worry, and then he talks about the devil on the prowl. It's an interesting section of verses. Let me just say this, that the word cast is a word to throw. It's like throwing maybe a covering on a colt or something like that. It literally means to cast it away. Throw your problems to the Lord. And it's in the present. It's a present participle, so it literally means Keep on casting your problems to the Lord. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I know when people share their problems with me all week, it can be a a bit of a burden, right? And sometimes it's hard. Some of you are in counseling, and you know, when you listen to people's problems all the time, you can take on their burdens, and it can be a heavy thing. Well, the Lord invites you to keep on casting, in the present tense, all your cares, not some of them, all your cares to God because... He cares for you. He loves you. And he invites you to cast them. So here's what I would suggest to you. Maybe some of you will try this this week. As you carve out a little devotional time and you pray, and you think about the kingdom of God, and you think about people that you're praying for that would come to know the Lord, and all the other things, would you carve out a little bit of time to give the Lord all your worries? Now, your problems may not completely go away because some of us got you know, pain and loss and things that have been holding on to us for years, but you can give the Lord your anxiety. That's what Peter's talking about. And you can keep giving it to him. And I think that's a key. You've got to keep giving it. And you might say, doesn't the Lord get tired of hearing my problems? Apparently not. Because he says, keep casting them. And I think that the more you cast your cares to him, he'll keep giving you what you need to make it. 
Now, I will say something that needs to be noted, that the birds still have to get their food, even though the Lord takes care of them. They're still active. Um, the point's been made that they have to look for their food, and uh, the illustration was given in this way. Luther commented, he said, God provides for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. Jesus is not talking about, says another author, a Hawaiian hang loose or a California chill out mentality. He's not talking about sitting back in laziness on your sofa with your mouth open, waiting for God to drop potato chips in periodically. <laughs> He's rather talking about being free from atheistic anxiety, the worry that thinks that God doesn't see, doesn't care, and will not provide. He's not saying that you can't be active. You should be active. He's just saying, don't be stressed out and freaked out as you're doing what you're supposed to do. Just do what he's called you to do. David Hawking, some years ago, told a story. He said he was new to the ministry, and he, was, uh, he had a young family, and they were, they were pretty much out of food, and he had decided to go full-time into ministry, kind of a step of faith, and he said he was cutting up the last hot dog for his two-year-old daughter, put it, putting it on her, her high chair, and that was the last of the food. And he said he got angry with God. And he said, I, I've decided to serve you. I've taken the step of faith. And where's the promises? He said he went rushing out their apartment door and stumbled out a bunch of groceries that someone had left on their doorstep. And he had to do one of those, oh God, I'm so sorry, you know, sometimes we, the Lord will take us to the edge, of course. But I will just say this, that the kingdom of God is a worry-free zone. We can be free from fretting. Uh, we can be free from all the normal things that weighs everybody else down who's only living for today. Verse 27, he says, And who of you, by being anxious or worried, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? This is probably more of a measurement of time. The NIV has it this way. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? The king's argument here is this simple. Worrying doesn't add anything. In fact, we might say that it subtracts. Amen? Amen. Worry is not just unproductive. It's often counterproductive. It will not add years to your life, but it certainly can take them away. In fact, I will tell you that doctors say that many maladies today are stress-related, and I think we all know this, right? So we might have issues with blood pressure or our heart or something like that, and it's connected or can be connected to stress. Worry is more likely to shorten a person's life than to extend it. This one writer says, I've yet to hear anyone with all the wave of health remedies and regimens advocate the following, maybe in a commercial. What you need every day is to wake up first thing in the morning and stress yourself out. But wait, there's more. We will really help you get through your day, add years to your life, just be totally stressed first thing in the morning. Where do I sign? I was just watching a little bit of the Masters golf tournament in Augusta, Georgia. That golf course is so beautiful, so pristine, and it's been raining, so they, they've had to extend the play a little bit. But uh, 
I was thinking about the temporary things of life and how even if someone wins the Masters today, it's a great tournament, but you know, I can't tell you who won five years ago and trophies rust and as soon as you win the, the tournament, you know, you celebrate a little bit and then you gotta get ready for the next tournament and the next tournament. That's kind of just how life is. Well, at Augusta, at the Master Tournament, if you go as a fan, you are not allowed to bring your cell phone. Augusta, Georgia says, you can't have your phone with you as a patron on the course. And I thought, I was telling someone the other night, I think that that could really be a good thing at church. (laughs) And at first service, you wouldn't believe how quiet it got in here. I mentioned a phone and people were like, now he's in my kitchen. This is getting personal. But I bring it up because in an interview with a, uh, uh, an athlete, the person said, you know, yeah, we don't have our phones. And, you know, we've been talking to one another and it's been great. And, and I told a, people, a person, I'll meet you at this tree at 115 on hole number 12. And I wrote it down, meeting so-and-so at 115. I used a, a pencil and a piece of paper. It was incredible. I'll meet you at 115. A physical Bible is a pretty good idea. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I paid a couple people to clap at the, no. But let me, tell, let me ask you a question. Let's all be honest, and I'll admit, I do my share on my phone as well. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? Is it kingdom-focused? Or do you grab that thing and say to it, you're the only one that really understands me. (laughs) And when you're doing that first thing in the morning, is it positive or negative for your life? Now, some of you might say, oh, yeah, there's a lot of fun, funny stuff there. But when you start searching videos and stuff, is it productive for kingdom life? Maybe that's part of why we're so stressed out is that we don't go to the Lord first thing in the morning. And I'm including myself in this because technology is easy to get caught up into. But what's your focus? Worry does not add, it takes away. It immobilizes. Paul said in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. He promises a peace that will be yours if you do that. And then he gives us a key. He says, focus on whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. He says, if you fixed your mind on these things, listen to this, the God of peace will be with you. But the truth of the matter is that many of us are scattered and dominated by other masters. And then we wonder, well, what's wrong with me? And why, why don't I evangelize more? Or what, why don't I you know, uh, connect more with kingdom stuff. Jesus used the same word for worry, and he said worry basically chokes out the good seed in the parable of the sower. He talks, talks about it really being the antithesis to faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. He goes on in 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Second living illustration now from flowers, observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. They're not 
working really hard or spinning anything like yarn for clothing. Yet I say to you that even King Solomon, notice, in all his glory, when he was at the top of his game, when people were coming from all around the world to see his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. We've had what seems to be an unprecedented amount of rain in Southern California. And some of you may have some growth around your house that uh, is new. Maybe there's new forms of growth, but maybe things look like creatures. I, I don't know. But we have these flowers, and we've been in the same home for many decades now. And these flowers, every year when I think that they're done for, uh, some rain comes and the sun comes out and these flowers just go boom! And they're everywhere. And they're beautiful array of colors. And I think there may be something here. I, I just want to put this before you. Maybe Jesus is getting at a little bit of simplicity here. You know, there's things like natural beauty that exist in the world that we would do well to take a little bit of a harder look at what's around us. Flowers and birds and the fish of the sea. And, you know, when, when we do that, we start to capture, I think, what Jesus is talking about. The flowers are not there pulling their petals out. I'm so stressed! Just a little... Light, just a little rain, and phew. you ever, uh, you know, when we had all that rain here, you look at the uh, side of the hills and there's all those poppies, and it makes me want to do something from the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> but I won't. No, I'm not going to do it. But if God arrays the grass of the field 30, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, they would use these flowers once dead for, to fuel things. Will he not much more do so for you? And then would you look at it? O men, O men and women of what? Little faith. Do you think that Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter here? The heart of the matter is the littleness of our faith. And so Jesus will address this a few more times in the Gospel of Matthew. And he will talk about their little faith when the storm comes and they wake Jesus up. Lord, wake up, we're perishing. And he calms the sea and he says, oh, you of little faith. Peter gets out of the boat in another scene in Matthew 14, walking on the water. Way to go, Peter. Then he gets his eyes off of Jesus, begins to sink, and Jesus saves him. But then says to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then one more time, Jesus will use this challenge as he reminds them that he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Why do you worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what, what you're going to wear? Sometimes I have to say that my worries are so big because my faith is so little. And sometimes I have to pray, oh Lord, would you increase my faith? I've been a pastor for a long time and I've seen a lot of things and I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and yet I know how fear can easily crowd into my heart and I can be overwhelmed by it. And so Jesus says, don't be anxious then, saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink, with what shall we clothe ourselves? That's a repetition of verse 25. 
For all these things, the Gentiles, that would be the pagans or the unbelieving world, that's what they eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God is not saying to be a pauper. He's not saying to go without. Jesus relied on his heavenly Father as he was navigating his earthly ministry. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me and finish his work. Don't worry, they're not mad at me. They're part of the choir. I was a little worried, though. Just kidding. My goal is to have a calm confidence in my God. Whatever twists and turns I face in my life, I want to have a calm confidence in my God. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be thinking about things and sometimes even stressing about things, but I want him to be my master and not worry. I want to make him my king in everything that I do. And so Jesus gives us the familiar key, which I hope you've gotten some help with. He says, seek first. This is a priority statement. He doesn't mean that you're not going to do some other things, but seek first. Notice two things, his kingdom and his righteousness. That simply means seek first him and seek first his priorities, what he calls right and true. And when you do, what's the promise? Look at it, brethren. All these things, and in context, all the things that you might worry about shall be what? They'll be added to you. If worry is your master, it will subtract. If Jesus is your master, he will add and add and add some more. Amen? And I have found, I have found in several decades now, actually serving the Lord since the late 80s, that he's done nothing but add to my life. Now, he's taken some things away, but they were things that were destroying me. And he's added beauty. He's added impact. He's added the things of the kingdom which will truly last. This stuff is all temporal. And while it is precious and valuable to some degree, it's still not gonna last. He says, look, if you do this, if you seek first my kingdom, I'll keep adding. Don't be like the world because that's all they do is seek the things for the body and the things to eat and etc." Final verse. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Now, Jesus isn't denying that there's trouble because notice what he says. Each day has enough trouble of its own, amen? So Jesus is saying, look, okay, you could have a good day, and some of you have really good days, and you might come home at the end of the day, and you're like, man, that was pretty smooth sailing, and some, some of you go like this, that was a pretty good day, knock on wood, whatever that means, and, and that's good, but sometimes we come home, and it might be something like this. You walk through the door, and you're like, oh, and a loved one says, what? What happened? Oh, you won't believe it. I started off on my phone. <laughs> and then traffic, and, and then this, and then that person at work. And they were looking at me with that. We talked about that evil eye last week, that stink eye. And they looked at me funny. And then, and then we did this and that, and my boss. and uh, Now, if you start worrying about that happening tomorrow, you're done. <laughs> I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. 
Look, if you have a good day or a bad day, don't try to forecast the stuff for tomorrow. <laughs> Spurgeon put it this way. Our business is with today to import the possible sorrows of tomorrow into the thoughts of today is, he says, a waste and it's unbelief. He says, when the morrow brings sorrow, it will bring strength for that sorrow because his mercies are new every morning. Today will require all the vigor we have to deal with its immediate evils. There can be no need to import cares from the future. To load today with the trials not yet arrived would be to overload us unnecessarily. We've got to stop crucifying ourselves between those two thieves because we can't change yesterday and we can't control tomorrow. But we have today. And today's trouble is sufficient but today's blessings are also sufficient. Let's turn over to Luke 12. If the worship team can hear my voice, we're gonna close with this section. This is a parallel section. It was probably taught at a different time, uh, but in Luke 12, Jesus is summing up the teaching. He covers pretty much all the same topics we just saw, and in Luke 12, 31 and 32, this is what he says. He says, but seek for his kingdom, Luke 12, 31, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to do what? To give you the kingdom. It is his great delight. And do you know how he gave you the kingdom if you're a Christian? Jesus Christ, in the very history in which we are embedded, came to face and conquer all our major fears. Amen? He, he stared the devil down, death down, the tomb down, demons down, you name it, and he conquered them. And 2,000 years later, that same Jesus still saves. He conquers sin, the grave, death, Satan. It's over. He is he has conquered it, amen? amen? He tasted death. He tasted death for each one of us. He conquered it. We don't need to be afraid anymore if you are in Christ. But I want to say something if you're not. If you're not in Jesus right now, with all due respect, you should be worried. Because you're going to stand before the judge of the earth and he's going to measure you against his law, his commandments. So on that day, here's what you want to have happen. You want to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And Shane mentioned it earlier. It's so simple that a child can do it. You have to trust in what Jesus did in his perfect life, sacrificial death on the cross, triumphant resurrection, and believe in who he said he is and believe the good news. You need to repent of your sin, turn away from it, turn away from the other masters and receive Jesus not only as Savior, but Lord. I just wanna add one thing. When you call Jesus your Lord, you're calling him your king and while salvation is a free gift, Jesus wants you to follow him. He wants you to pursue the kingdom of God. We as a church have been learning about that. 
And I will just say this, if you're new to us or maybe visiting on this Easter Sunday, I'm so glad that you were here. But if you leave until next Easter and there's nothing in your life that looks like you're following Jesus, I would not take any false security in that because Jesus asked you to call him Lord. And when we first start out, I didn't know, I knew barely anything, but I trusted in what I knew, but my desire was to keep growing. And that's what I would say to you. I would say to you, if you have a tendency to come on the major holidays, we're glad you're here. But could I challenge you to come back next Sunday? Not because I need you to be here for any reason to fill a seat or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Would you come back to learn what it means to follow Jesus as your king? Because that's when you will be truly free. Amen. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for the patience of the folks that have come and listening to the word. I know that I know so many personally in this room, and I know that they're excited and grateful for the word of God. We know it's light and truth. So grateful for every visitor, maybe some from other congregations, and maybe some for the first time. Maybe somebody's watching live stream for the first time. They've heard about these truths, and, and maybe in your heart you would say, I, I'm that person, man. I, I am under the burden of stress, worry, how I'm perceived, etc. Jesus, a little later in the Gospel of Matthew, will say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is a burden-bearing Savior and Lord. And he would ask you to come to him just as you are, turn away from your sin, and place your trust in the King, because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It might be something like this. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but Lord Jesus, I believe in who you are and why you came to this earth. I believe that you live that perfect life that I can never live. I believe that you are not only the Son of God, but God the Son. I believe that you died on that terrible cross for me and suffered for my shame and my sin, bearing my punishment at the cross. And I thank you that you conquered death and rose from the grave just as you said you would. And I'm gonna turn away from other masters and place my faith and trust in you. Pray it if it's you. Maybe you're a prodigal and you need to come home and you've been under the burden of a, of a foreign master, a different Lord. Maybe you, like the prodigal, would come home and give him your burdens afresh. He can take it. That's, that's why he came. He loves you so much. Father, for every saint that's here and knows the king, I pray that their joy would be uh, just overflowing. And I pray that you teach us more and more how to give you our worries and anxieties because we know we battle them. But I pray that they'd be a little less this week. Our walk would be a little lighter. Our hearts would be a little lighter as we leave and go and enjoy all the blessings you've granted to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.